Keeping up on Seattle area politics is tough. Who has time to sit through a three-hour council meeting and sort out which decisions will affect you most? All those in favor say aye. Aye. Well, what if getting caught up on current events was as simple as getting a cup of coffee with some City Hall insiders who know which stories are hot and which are not? Welcome to Seattle News, Views, and Brews. And we're ready for action here on Seattle News, Views, and Brews, helping you stay in touch with Seattle area politics since January of 2020, which in coronavirus time was roughly 12 years ago. So guess what, folks? Here we are again. Brian Callanan, your host here. I'm also a host on Seattle Channel. The views expressed here are my own. We are recording today's podcast remotely yet again, and I'm joined by fellow Zoom Meister, Kevin Schofield of Seattle City Council Insight. Kevin, good hey, to Brian, see you. Hey, Brian. I got my Zoom skills on today. Let's Just do it. Work, let's rock this. Let's do this. All right. Special thanks to City Grind Espresso, the coffee shop on the first floor of City Hall. Not operating, of course, because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Help them out. Buy a gift card from them if you can. They are our background noise sponsor. Also, if you like supporting local journalism, please help out our podcast on Patreon. So let's get the party started with right here, right now. All right, Kevin, we're taking a look at the first full week of May. And finally, I believe the Seattle City Council will be taking a vote on this eviction moratorium bill. Now, the basic idea behind this is putting a stop to residential evictions. Council President Gonzalez has sponsored this. She wants to extend this to six months after the coronavirus state of emergency has been declared over by the mayor. There's been some pushback from small, large landlords, too, here. Is there any room to negotiate maybe three months instead of six? Or where do you see this thing going? Yeah, well, it's interesting. So one of the reasons uh, it's it's sort of dragged on a little bit is Councilmember Gonzalez actually wanted to make sure that it didn't overlap with the governor's uh, moratorium because uh, there was some concern that if this actually showed up in court, then it would be confusing about which of those two was the one yeah. that applied. Right, the state deal runs through June fourth in terms of so, residential evictions. So the latest right. version, the latest version says is basically six months after the governor's is lifted. I right? see. So now okay. it's now it's super clear. But just as a procedural wonk thing, it actually says six months in the title of it. Right. So if they get in there and they want to reduce it below six months they actually have to reintroduce this and take at least another week to go through this entire process again because the title actually has to match the content of it and they can't change the title on the fly. They have to go with whatever title they use when they officially introduce that bill. Very good observation. And and just there's some undercurrent here. There are some other stories at work as well. Councilmember Sawant, some other people in our community are talking about a rent strike action planned for the start of May here. A lot of different activity around this. I know that there are a number of people who are saying we need this at the local level. We might need this at the federal level here. I think there's a lot of activity behind the scenes, behind this eviction moratorium that might have an impact on what the council members say about it, too. Yeah. And it, it can't be done at the really at the, at the local level because uh, local governments don't have the power to do this. Yeah. It's potentially something they could do at the state level. It's something they could do at the federal level, but right. it would almost certainly require them to come up with money basically to yeah. to 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 compensate landlords. Right. No, I know and I know the city council recently passed a resolution asking 
the governor asking Congress, the White House, to cancel rent and mortgage payments. Yeah. So just a yeah. resolution on the on the city side of things. Yeah. On the city side of things, I know from the U.S. Congress side of things, Pramila Jayapal, the senator from the Seventh yep. Congressional District here, is now pushing this idea of something like a cancellation of rent and mortgage payments. But again, that's something at the federal level that could potentially have an impact here locally. Yeah, it could. Uh, but at the same time, there are questions about whether it actually interferes with property rights, right? Mm-hmm. And whether there be, you know, what's called a government taking, right? If they deprive a property owner of, you know, the economic value of their property by saying, well, you can't, have, you have to let somebody live there, but you can't charge rent for it. And you can't go back and try to get background on it later then that is, that's probably government taking, right? Yeah. And the government actually has to compensate people for, for taking their property, right? right, right. So unless, unless there was a way there for them to actually um, repay, the government repaying landlords, yeah. it, it really probably wouldn't fly. Yeah, and I know that's that's at least a piece of the proposal from Senator Jayapal and others in the House and Senate. And we'll see how that plays out. But I think underscoring all of this is the need that's out there. I just oh, talked recently. Yeah, yeah it, it's massive. I, and there's one way to look at it, put it in perspective, Kevin. I just talked with the folks from Northwest Harvest. They take care of a lot of the different food banks and the food supply for our area here. About 850,000 people in our state needed food assistance. Just talking about basic food assistance before COVID hit. Now that number almost double at 1.6 million needing help. So a lot of people needing help. It's difficult to see right now how that how, how that's going to happen in terms of these rent mortgage payments that are out there. So let's move on to our next piece here. I wanted to talk about the West Seattle Bridge. The good news, I guess, there's a contractor. It's great news. The city of Seattle moved quickly on this. Kramer North America has been brought on board by SDOT. Some good news there. It's a local company, for one thing, from Seattle. And the work has started apparently already on the lateral bearings of Pier 18, which is the big concern here. Uh, This is a group, Kramer, that's been working on the Duwamish River Bridges projects. They know the area a little bit there. They've also been working on the Northgate Pedestrian Bridge. So it's a known quantity there. But, Kevin, that's the good news. I wanted to flip to the other side of this. You did a deep dive on this. The amount of work that needs to be done on our bridges, not just West Seattle. It's a little shocking when you start looking at some of those numbers. Yeah, so... uh... You know, the city actually has a couple of different sort of budget pots of, pots of money that they use for maintenance. And there's, you know, what's called routine or preventative maintenance, which is the kind of normal stuff you, we all do around our house every day, keeping things clean. If you see the little cracks in the wall, you know, building yeah. on stuff like that. And then there's a major maintenance stuff like, you know, for our house, it'd be cool. And like, well, you know, your roof is going to last about 25 years. So every 25 years, you're going to have to blow a big amount of money to go replace right. that. Or It's going to take more than a the, coat of paint, right? The appliances okay. in your kitchen or, you know, things like that. Or, you know, repla- replacing your car because, you know, it's going to wear out every once in a while. And that's, you know, much more of a kind of an up and down or up and down thing from year to year as, yeah. you know, you hit these big pricey things, you know, over long periods of time. But the routine maintenance is pretty much a regular amount every year. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, the experts on this suggest that, uh, you know, governments should be budgeting somewhere between one and 4% of the actual value mm-hmm. of the bridges and structures that they're, they're supporting for maintenance yeah. up for routine maintenance. Yeah. So the, the bridges and structures that SDOT maintains for the city right now, they're estimated to be worth about $8.3 billion. Yeah. So 1% of that would be $83 million. And, and this and, is the kicker here. How much is the city actually putting in here, Kevin? I was shocked at this number. Uh, under $8 million. Wow. So, so about less than a tenth of what they should be spending on this. And, that, yeah. and that's been true over 
a long, long period of time. As back as I could find numbers in the budget, you know, it, it, that's been true. So, yeah. you know, and part of that is just a question of, you know, what are the other competing interests for things to yeah. be spent? How much, you know, what can SDOT really push through in a budget request? Especially now in the time of COVID, when we've already been talking about a budget hole for the city, $200, $300 million, something along those lines. Can can they just find $75 million somewhere? And we have a homeless emergency, and uh, there's just so many competing interests for large buckets of money to say, oh, yeah, yeah, we we need to spend $75 million more a year on bridges, you know. It, it, it's it's a real need. It needs to be done, but that is not an easy sell for no. anybody, uh, you know, at SDOT or you know, in the mayor's office or the city council to to, yeah. to pitch out there. So, so that's um, that that's some bad news. Now, yeah. just to be super clear, yeah. it's not clear that lack of or you know a backlog of routine maintenance is what caused the failure in the right. Seattle bridge. Right. It right. is what triggered this request for an audit by Councilmember Peterson, who's the chair of the Transportation Committee. But I hear you loud and clear there. There isn't a causal connection between lack of maintenance equals what's wrong with the West Seattle Bridge, right? At, now. at least not one they haven't found yet. Yeah, right. No. Good point. Good point. It, it, it may be this Pier 18 issue, the lateral bearing, that could have been a routine maintenance thing. You know, we just don't know yet. We'll, yeah. we'll find out more about that. But the, the, the structural issues of the bridge look to be not even really even a major maintenance thing. They just look to be like, okay, was there a problem with the bridge all along? Right, right. And that's, ooh, man, that's something that I know the council is going to be taking a deep dive into over the next several weeks here. All right, let's switch it up to now hear this. Okay, we are back yet again talking about the big business tax hearings. Again, the 1.3% payroll tax on businesses that have more than $7 million on the payroll. A monster three-hour meeting last week about this. Lots of public comment. And I know, Kevin, you were talking about this tax looking DOA last week. And I'm not sure if we heard any beeps on the heart rate monitor here. Just kind of talking talking out loud here about this. Uh, here, here's the setup to the soundbite here, folks. So Councilmember Lewis and others were expressing concerns about the mechanics of how this would work, because this is not just let's tax big businesses, 1.3% payroll tax, etc. This proposal includes borrowing with an interfund loan within the city million from other city investments to kickstart the money flow immediately. So possibly the Move Seattle levy, low-income housing fund, library levy, some other pots out there, the actual tax on big business wouldn't go into effect until next year. But those levies I mentioned there are based on tax revenue. We're not seeing a lot of that right now during the COVID crisis, and who knows when that revenue will really kick in again. So here's Councilmember Lewis talking about where this interfund loan money would potentially come from and his concerns about it. The strength and viability of this funding source in the wake of the strains that COVID might cause on the economy, um, making sure we don't set up a massive uh, um, time bomb for the general fund on top of what's already happening is gonna be a priority for me. Kevin, I gotta say this is messy at best. And when you hear somebody saying, we've got a time bomb on our hands here, that makes me concerned about what's going on. Yeah, so uh, you know, interfund loans happen from the city. They borrow. It, right. It's usually short term. It's usually you know a year on the stuff, and, and not usually and, this big at two hundred million. And this this is more than twice as big as you know any one of the any interfund loan. That I think the most recent one they found was about eighty five million. That was probably by far the biggest that they'd seen in a while. But yeah. the, you know the. The, the issue that Councilmember Lewis is bringing up here and the mayor has brought up yes. is that 
they might need to use that money just to cover this 210 to 300 million dollar revenue deficit that they're yeah. seeing this year right yeah. so to you know commit that to a whole set of new spending Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to making sure that they can cover the things that they've already committed to is tough. But at the same time, you know, th- there is a real need for, for relief and Absolutely. more than what folks are getting from the federal and state government right now. So it, the, the, the city council is in a tough spot. This way. Yeah. They want to help people who really, really need help right now, but they're really, uh, you know, caught trying to find good revenue sources to use for this. Now, you know, it may be that they come back and, you know, suggest an income tax, maybe a business income tax. Right. Or maybe do something outside of the emergency purview. That's another way to approach this too, potentially, where they wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily be at risk of running into that mayoral, the mayoral veto, et cetera. Any thoughts about that piece? Yeah. But the, uh, if if the goal is to do something really really quickly, yeah, that's right. not going to help either because it will right. almost certainly be subject to referendum. And if, yeah. as soon as a referendum is filed, the the bill you know stops from being implemented until the referendum vote happens and mm-hmm. you know and is decided. So yeah, so, that's, that's what doomed this conversation back in 2018. I know that. Yeah. It's, so uh, so you know either way, it, it's for the bill that there is in front of them right now it still doesn't look like it's going to go forward. The mayor came out even more vocally this past week and said, I, I just don't, you know, I, I'm not in favor of this. So she's, she's not going to say yes to it. So it's not going to go through in its current form. Yeah. If they, if they go through where it's not emergency legislation, it's going to be subject to referendum and that's going to bog it down. So, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to see what path might be going, you know, what the path might be for the bill as it looks right now. Now, you know, there's still rumors out there that Councilmember Mosqueda is working on an alternative. Mm-hmm. haven't really heard much details about what that might look like at this point, but, right. uh, you know, we've, uh, not, not this coming week, but the week after this, May 13th is going to be the next budget committee meeting right. where they take right. this up again. So mm-hmm. she's got a little bit of time to go see if she can pull something together and we'll see yeah. what happens. Yeah. What did you hear in terms of the different public comment that was going on around this. I thought it was interesting. There was definitely a lot of it, but a, a lot of back and forth here. And I think uh, Councilmember Mosqueda was definitely hearing that too. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the public comment, it you know it's it's interesting. It's back, and as happens with uh, many political issues like this, it's really been weaponized by both sides. Mm-hmm. Right. So the Tax Amazon movement that Councilmember Swant is helping to organize. Uh, their set of people who were signed up for public comment and oh, speaking yeah. their lines. And there are a bunch of people from the business community who had spokespeople signed up and they were speaking their lines on it. So there was, you know, it was it was much more even this week in terms of people who were in favor of this legislation and people who were staunchly opposed to it than, mm-hmm. than in, in past times. And the the you know, some of it was small business owners, but the small business owners were saying very clearly, hey, you know, we don't live in a world on our own, right? Mm-hmm. That we're in an ecosystem together with these with these big companies. A restaurant in South Lake Union depends on Amazon employees yeah. to, to you know to to drive its business. You know, yeah. and Molly Moon, who's the you know founder and CEO of Molly Moon Ice Cream, yeah. Yeah. came out on you know on a panel at the session and said, yes. "Look, I'm you know I'm in favor of this tax. I think." Big businesses should be paying a payroll tax. You know, yeah. her her business her, is not would big not enough to be affected. That, yeah, right. Would be affected, but she said she did worry about the effect that this would have on her customers, mm-hmm. many of whom 
actually work for those big companies that pay tax. And, and if those companies decide, well, we're not going to, you know, after the COVID you know, shutdown, we're not going to hire back as many employees in sure. Seattle. We'll hire them in Bellevue or somewhere else. Or right. We just in general won't hire as many employees back. Yeah. Then um, that may reduce your business. Right, right. And I know we've seen some of the shoes drop in terms of that over the past couple of weeks here with Boeing saying they're talking about reducing their workforce by 15%. So we're really just starting to see some of those pieces here as we get back online here following the coronavirus crisis, which I wanted to move on to this piece, Kevin. We are recording this podcast just a few hours before Governor Inslee will be speaking about extending the stay-at-home order. He's talking about phasing the economy back in. And this is a very complex process here. I know there's some political pressure around here. I know there's some medical evidence that looks fairly positive here, going in the right direction at least, that we can start phasing in other parts of public life. We've seen public recreation start to come back online, some construction projects, elective surgeries here. But I think there are so many different metrics that the state needs to look at here to try to put this back together. Your thoughts about extending this stay home order and I guess what the governor and the state is really looking at now when they're considering this. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, when you look at the, the numbers in terms of cases we're seeing so uh, right now, mm-hmm. we seem to have plateaued. Yeah. And statewide, we're seeing somewhere around 250 cases, more cases a day being right. being reported and confirmed. Yep. And, you know, I, I think they love for that to go lower. That may not be realistic that it's going to go lower. I think, mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of other states that are seeing the same thing that kind of hit a plateau. But we've, we've definitely sort of hit that plateau. And I, I think there, I, I hear some little bit of disappointment from local and state leaders that it's not actually seeming to drop below that. The mm. number of deaths is, uh, you know, uh, sort of the being reported on a daily basis is is, is low. Mm. The number of hospitalizations seems to continue to drop, yes, which is right. very, very good news. Yes. Um, but uh, the confirmed cases just seems to have stopped. So then the question becomes, you know, as we if we move out of shutdown, it's not not like moving out of shutdown means we stop worrying about COVID because it's still here. Of course, it means not, we right. have to have another mechanism as opposed to shutting down mm-hmm. that's going to keep the number of cases very low. Right, so, and I know that the governor's been talking about this with with testing, etc. And testing and, that's the next piece. and and contract tracing, yes. which means when you identify somebody who tests positive, you have to immediately reach out to all the people they've been in contact with and get them quarantined and tested. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or, or, you know, quarantined until they can test negative. Absolutely. Right. 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 And so then the question really becomes, is the infrastructure in place to do that right now? Now, testing supplies are still in short, you know, in short supply, but that seems to slowly be getting better. Yeah. The actual sort of lab capacity to do more testing we seem to have. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is really sort of testing supplies and can we get stuff out to folks? And then what's the cost of that? Right. right. How much right. do those tests cost? So that's really, in the end of the day, unfortunately, going to control in many ways how broadly we can do this. So I right. think those are the things to listen to from the governor. Is yeah. is the plan really in place for the next phase? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, because and, we we can't move out of this one until we're really ready to 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 support that next phase. Right. And I think we're waiting on those tests to come in. The most recent numbers I've seen, Kevin, maybe close to two hundred thousand people have been tested around the state, which is about. 
two and a half percent of our estimated population here. But I know because the feds have started up this Defense Production Act, we should be getting more tests every month and we could actually see that capacity increase here. But I really think it's about that, trying to see those testing numbers going up and trying to figure out some way with this contact tracing thing. That's a massive, massive issue. I know there's been some work locally on trying to do that through a uh, app on your phone or whatever else. But I think those are the two uh, logistic pieces here that need to improve before we see a full lifting, I guess, of these restrictions in place. Yeah. So I think that, you know, the one that I'd push back a little bit on that is as you go forward out of this phase, right, right now, because we're flying blind, testing yeah. a lot of people matters a lot. We really don't have a good idea how many people in total in the community either are positive or have seen this and didn't have symptoms or have very mild symptoms and we don't and we don't know right yeah in the next phase that matters less right mm-hmm. and what really matters is as people show up and have you know have symptoms and we get them tested can we get to their close contacts really quickly so right. the total number of tests won't matter if we can keep it really really low and this is what south korea has done really well right mm-hmm. um once they, once they got the totals really, really low, they kept them low through, you know, very strategic use of testing and very thorough contact tracing, right? Yeah. So um, we have to have the supplies, we have to have the testing ability, and we really, really, really have to have this ability, whether it's through an app, whether it's through, you know, having a, a dedicated core of people yeah. who are willing to just do the, you know, roll up the sleeves and do the work yeah. of calling down people and emailing yeah. them. Let's get the to, census workers on this one. Let's, yeah. let, let's get the workers on this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That has to be in place. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting to see what will happen over the next couple months. Kevin, thank you for breaking that down. I want to move on to our next segment. What's next? Kevin, I wanted to follow up on something we've talked about over the past couple of weeks. I-976, the Supreme Court will be taking this case, a direct appeal rather than going through the state court of appeals. Bottom line for me, this case is going to be heard more quickly and hopefully adjudicated more quickly. What do we know here? Yeah, so going straight to the Supreme Court, state Supreme Court, and they have approved uh, an expedited schedule for this. So Mm -hmm. by uh, the middle of June, they'll basically be done with filing all the briefs on both sides. And then, um, you know, uh, probably maybe as soon as the end of June, maybe a couple weeks after, maybe in early July when the state Supreme Court actually hears oral arguments on the case. And then, you know, it depends how complicated it is and whether, yeah. they, you know, how much they agree among themselves on this and how long it takes them to write it all up. So, you know, we could hear by the end of the summer, it could drag, you know, way out in the fall, but clearly the Supreme Court feels like, okay, we need to decide this pretty quickly. Yeah, certainly. I know a lot of local governments are looking at this very closely. They're trying to get their budgets together this fall. They want to know some more information here. As it stands right now, I-976 is on hold until the court rules. But we're just waiting for the other shoe to drop on this. Any changes in the arguments, whatever else? I feel like they've been laid out over the past several months here, Kevin. Do you have any expectations coming out of this case? No, I think, you know, the... the, um Challengers to Initiative 976 through the trial court laid out a long laundry list of all the things they thought were wrong with it. At this point, since they're at the appeals level, they can't introduce new arguments. Right, right. All they can do is say that the lower court decided 
the wrong way on issues that they raise at that level, right? So, yeah. so we're not going to see, you know, the only way they can introduce a new argument at this point is if something new happens in the world that, yeah. that, that would relate to this. Yeah. And so we're just going to see basically a rehashing of the arguments, maybe tightening up of, you know, the, the, the arguments a little bit, but it's going to be the same issues. Yeah. Well, uh, Tim, I'm in something new. You never know. We'll, we'll see where this goes. <laughs> hey, let's move on to our last segment here, Kevin. It's time to bust out the baked goods, as we always do at the end of the podcast here. You couldn't have coffee without them, right? Uh, right? I wanted to talk about what you brought to the table here, because I know you have been baking yet again, sir. What do we got? Oh, I always bake. Yeah, yes. I have got ginger snaps. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Look at those ginger snaps. <laughs> what, what's I, I what's love the gin- secret there? I, I love the cookie, and I know it's a relatively basic recipe, but what's your secret to making them great well this is a new recipe i tried oh, okay I, I saw it and said eh, that sounds really good i'll try it. this actually has two different kinds of ginger in it so it's got fresh ginger okay which you know you get some ginger root and you grate it up yes and it's got ground ginger that you know you buy in one of those little uh, you know spice rack yep, yep. Uh, little, little so this has got some of both uh, i will tell you you know that that um a lot of people have trouble working with ginger root mm. uh, because it's just it's just weird and yeah. has this weird texture to it. Yes, this, kind of funky I, can, I will yep. I will tell you the secret to working with ginger. Root. Ah, what do we got? Okay, you freeze it. What? Stick it in your freezer. You stick okay. it in your freezer and it grates up super easily. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, and that's it the doesn't ruin the flavor okay. or anything of it. It keeps for super super long time. So I've always got ginger root in a Ziploc bag in my freezer, and anytime <laughs> I need it, I just pull it out and just grate a bunch of it out. And right next to the ice tray, I love and it. it. And it's and it's super super easy. Oh, yeah. Kevin, I wanted to make sure I passed along to you. You have inspired my daughters to check out the Brave Tart cookbook that oh, you cool. mentioned got, over the past oh, little bit. It's great. Well, now now being that these are the younger generation, they didn't actually get the cookbook. They saw a version of it on TikTok. <laughs> and did their own trick on it. So uh, if you can see it, this is my daughter's version of the Oreo. Nice. And I know, I know it looks backwards, but she actually did inscribe. She wrote Oreo yep, on the top. She yeah. did. It looks a little bit like a serial killer handwriting, but that's what happens with the bakery stuff. Anyway, I'm going to take a big crunch out of this one and let you know what I think of it. Oh, man. I got to tell you. Good I'm stuff? so glad you turned people onto this deal because having an Oreo the way it was meant to be with a little mm. extra chew to it, this is where it's at. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah, really, really good stuff. So, folks, I thank you very much for listening to us chew. Always always a good time, Kevin. Thank that's you very right. much for being with me, my man. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, <laughs> choking on uh, I know. cookie crumbs here. I promised myself I wouldn't cry. <laughs> All right, but here we are at the end of the show yet again. And thank you for joining us, everybody, on Seattle News, Views, and Brews. The next time you want to know what's going on in local politics, give us a listen. Find out what's brewing. You can reach us via email at seattlenewsviewsandbrews at gmail.com. Subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And please, please support us on Patreon if you like what you're hearing. And as always, thanks for listening. Seattle News, Views, and Brews is an independent production of Calaman Media Services. Copyright 2020.